This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to another edition of Rappaport to the Rescue. I'm Joe Rappaport, and what a day I had yesterday. First of all, I hear a boom. The power goes out. My dogs start going crazy because all of a sudden the lights, the TV, everything goes just dark. And it's the middle of the day, thank goodness, but still it rattled them. So I quickly run downstairs. I let three of the dogs into the backyard so that they could calm down a little bit. Petey is asleep on the sofa. My 18-year-old CJ is also asleep in her little bed. I let them be. I go outside. Unbeknownst to me, I look, and there is a baby deer in the corner of my backyard. And I am so mesmerized. It's the cutest thing you've ever seen. And all the dogs are looking at the little baby deer. Of course, my dachshund, Mr. Fearless, is like, what's that? I'm going to go over to and I'm going to see if it's an invader in our backyard. And he starts walking up. Next thing I know, in a flash, I see the mother jumping over my five foot fence into the backyard to protect her baby, of course, which is such a beautiful thing. And that's what you would expect. But I didn't expect that to happen with my three dogs watching. Next thing I know, My little Stanley, he's not little physically, but little emotionally. He's afraid of everything. My standard poodle starts walking over. Do you know that this mother deer literally came over to Stanley and bopped him with her back leg and he fell over? Like she was trying to say, stay away from my baby, which rightly so, but poor Stanley was just traumatized. And then Scout was in an uproar. He's running around in circles. And wouldn't you know my dachshund, he's thinking, who does she think she is? We're not going to take that. And he starts walking up. My little 13-pound dachshund starts walking up to the deer like, I'm not going to take that from you. I scream. I open up the other gate. I quickly scurry them out. And she gets the baby. They run out. And thank goodness, all is safe and well at the last buck ranch. Never a dull moment here, folks. Anyway, coming up on today's show, another great addition. I have the one and only Kristen Bell here. I have loved her performances for years. My favorite movie, and I'm sure you'll all agree with me, Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Great performer, great person. And what I love about her most is her desire, her need, her passion for saving animals in need. We will talk to her all about that coming up. And later in the show, the Bill Jill section, Bill Berloni will be here. And we're going to talk about dachshunds. I have two. Of course, his daughter now has one. And we're going to talk about the difficulties training them because they are so obstinate, as you just heard with my little Oscar Mayer wanting to challenge the deer. All that coming up and more on Rappaport to the Rescue. Stay tuned. Want to know who the latest trendsetters are in Hollywood? How about Irish setters? Find out who's been spotted with Spot, chowing with their chow, and shopping for Gucci with their Poochie. Get, get the scoop on all the latest celebrity pet patter right here. Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Rappaport to the Rescue. I'm Jill Rappaport, and my guest today is Kristen Bell. 
Of course, you all know her for her incredible career over the years, but in 2008, she had her breakout film role in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. She has since appeared in a number of comedy films, including Couples Retreat, When in Rome, You Again, The Boss, Bad Moms, A Bad Mom's Christmas, getting recognition for voicing Princess Anna in the Disney animated fantasy films Frozen. And who could forget Kristen in Veronica Mars, which was a wonderful series, which ended up becoming an HBO movie, and then a series again for Hulu in 2019. She also starred in the lead role of Eleanor Shellstop in the acclaimed NBC comedy series The Good Place, for which she received a Golden Globe nomination for Best Actress. And if that list of credits isn't long enough, Belle is also an author, a New York Times number one best-selling children's author with her new book, The World Needs More Purple People. Obviously, she's incredibly talented, but what I love about Kristen most is her devotion and her commitment to animals in need. Kristen, welcome to Rappaport to the Rescue. And in the beginning of the show, I talked all about your career. Wow, what a list of credits. You have done so much at such a young age. You've really achieved so much, and you are never just hanging out and relaxing. It's 24-7 for you, isn't it? You know, I do like to work. Working and having a purpose gives me self-esteem. So whether the purpose is being activated by work or, you know, being involved as a mom or all my fur babies or animal rescue or any kind of philanthropy, I like to stay active. Yes. (laughs) Well, I always loved you as a performer, but when I read and learned about your compassion, commitment to animals in need, we were kindred souls, Kristen. I just love what you do. I know you've been a vegetarian since you were 11 years old. Is that correct? That is correct. Unbelievable. And you've always loved animals. Always. In fact, I, I like animals a lot more than I like humans. I um, always say that too. And my mother gets so mad. She goes, don't say that. Don't say that. I said, but it's the truth. It's the truth. <laughs> you know, I will say it's funny because when I was little, you know, I remember I loved my dog so much and I wanted more dogs, more dogs. My, my mom said no. So I figured out that the Humane Society allowed fosters. And then I presented it to her as a responsibility learning experience. And she let us foster. And I've just always liked being surrounded by, I mean, all animals, but dogs in particular are, I just think nature's antidepressants. And when I first met my husband, we would be, you know, strolling down the street. This was 13 years ago. I would stop to say hello to every dog. And for me, that was just, of course you do. You say hello to the dog. You ask if you can pet it and you talk to it for a minute. And he never grew up with animals. And so he thought that I was, I guess he still says this. I was like sort of trying to look good in his eyes. Like I was Snow White, like, look how much I care. And he goes, I thought that for like the first year and now I'm 13 years in and you still stop for every single dog. I realized, oh no, that's just something you do. It's not, you were never trying to impress me. Yeah. I feel like such a connection, especially with dogs, that I, I don't know that I'd ever be able to live without having them. Oh, I'm right there with you, sister. And I got to tell you, Dax, you said he hadn't grown up with dogs. I've had to end relationships because they just didn't get it. And they thought I was a little too obsessed. And I got to be honest with you, oftentimes I wanted the dogs in the bed, not the guy, if you know what I mean. So how did you work it out with Dax? Is he a true animal lover now? He is ish. He ish. <laughs> you know, when I first met Dax, I had three dogs. 
I adopted uh, the, I had Lola and Shaky, these two dogs I'd had since I was in my early twenties. And then I adopted the oldest dog that came out of Katrina. Her name was Sadie. I got her from the Helen Woodward center. She was I've worked with Helen Woodward so many times. Mike, arms, they're fantastic. They're fantastic. And they took, you know, a big plane load of dogs. What they did was something really smart. I like animal rescues that are really, they run it like a business, which is great for the animals. You know, when they have cat adoptions, they'll put two cats per cage and name them peanut butter and jelly, and they're more likely to get adopted together. All those silly things, you know. But they took a lot of dogs out of the shelters after Katrina that were already surrendered or in the shelter so that the shelter could be clear for the animals that were being found among the wreckage, which I thought was, again, was smart. And I said, just give me your oldest dog. And um, Sadie was 12 years old. She was some sort of black lab and she was a mess. She had no teeth and she breathed really heavy because she had a thyroid imbalance, blah, blah, blah. But I thought, I'll be able to give this dog six months of her a beautiful life. She'll be comfortable. She lived five and a half more years. I had a black lab who lived to almost 18 years old. Kristen, that's my story. You know, I created Dog Bowl for Animal Planet, which is Puppy Bowl for Seniors. I'm all about, I always say seniors are my favorite breed. I'm all about the underdogs. And I tell people all the time, just like humans, do not look at the age. Because when you save an older animal, they thrive. And they shock you with how long they can live. My CJ, my Havanese is 18 years old. Yeah. And what's so funny is when I first met Dax, he thought that he didn't understand animals in the house. I came with three dogs. When they would run through the living room, he would jump a little bit as if there were three, like, you know, squirrels or deer running through the living room. Like, why are the woodland creatures living in our home? And the two little ones slept with us in the the bedroom and he's always had bad asthma until we realized he was kind of allergic to both of them. So then we put him in dog beds on the floor and then he was still sneezing. So they finally started sleeping in the living room. But he has grown really attached and we've lost all three of those since then. But we have two now. We foster a lot of seniors I'm so addicted to seniors because I just feel like, I don't know, I'm drawn to the ones that are the neediest, the ones with, we have Barbara, Barbara Biscuits, who has one eye and she just looks like a coat hanger with fur. She's so skinny. She's like a little Yorkie. She's in a mess. She only has her bottom teeth, no top teeth. But man, is she the most loving, easiest dog ever? I'll tell you, this is so why I have been bugging Marcel for months, for months, because I wanted to interview you so badly. (laughs) I love what you do because it's not just about adoption or rescue. It's really opening up your heart and home to those most in need. And that's the underdogs, the seniors, the pit bulls, the special needs. And that's what I've made it my mission to do. A hundred percent. And you know what? If a young family wants to get, wants to adopt a puppy, because I always explain to everyone why you need to adopt and not shop. And sometimes I do find even my friends in LA, they don't understand it. And when I explain the concept of like, but there are so many dogs that are put down in shelters. If you're buying one, you're just creating more sort of, you're losing a space. Someone could be put down. You could just take a dog from a shelter. They're just as good. People have all these these misconceptions about shelter dogs. So I try to, you know, enlighten my friends, but I don't fault a family who wants to get a puppy. But for me, I, I just like the mangled ones. I like the ones that look funny, that jaws a real big underbite. And my family always laughs at me. Because we finally got a rescue that was two years old. 
<laughs> last year. His name is Frank, and man, is he needy. He is the neediest dog ever. Because Santa seniors have been there, done that. 100%. But my, my, when I came home with him, my family said, thank you so much for not getting another dead dog because all the dogs I've gotten are just like corpses that live in the kitchen and I love them and we keep them at the same time and they're happy, but they're not like the playful dogs with my kids. So we finally got a two-year-old named Frank and he's our family dog. And then we have Barbara who just sort of sits on her mat all day and it's a perfect mix. That's so great. But listen, the message you're teaching your two daughters, not only to adopt and rescue, but it's about compassion, giving mm -hmm. back, learning to care for something else other than yourself, and especially something so vulnerable. We're their voice. If it's not for us, they can't eat. They can't take care of themselves with us helping 100%. them. And your daughters are seeing at such a young age that mom and dad now, thank goodness, are in there a hundred percent helping these wonderful creatures to have whatever life and love you can give. You're giving it to them even in the twilight of their lives. Yeah. It's hard to explain to someone what a relationship with a dog does to the human spirit. So it's hard to say like, but I'm getting so much in return. Like for me, like I say, their nature's antidepressants. I feel so good in my body, my cells, when I'm snuggling my dogs, when I'm caring for my dogs. I just feel good. And part of it is the self-esteem of responsibility, which we teach our kids. You know, when you're responsible and you're taking care of your business, which sometimes is feeding your dog, making sure your dog has all its vet needs met, you feel good at night, you know, but also just snuggling with them and playing with them. It's so simple and it feels so good. And there's also the responsibility aspect when, you know, dogs can teach kids so much. My seven-year-old, since she was six, so this has been about a year now, consistently every morning wakes up and feeds the dogs. I explain to her how to do it and we make it easy for her because of course there's a couple steps involved, but they get two different foods because one has a kidney disease thing. But I put them in a, uh, a little metal container and it's got a rubber top and I, they're labeled Frank and Barbara and they go in the fridge at night. So you know, that's Frank Sinatra and his wife was Barbara. You know that, right? <laughs> oh my goodness. I never even thought about yeah, that. Barbara Marks. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, so every morning, cause she's the first one up and she loves the dogs. And I said, do you want to help care for the dogs? She said, yes. And I'll be damned if she does not, she hasn't fed the dogs every morning for a year and she's seven years old. And I'm like, wonderful. It's so great. And she's not, she didn't ask for an allowance for it. It's all intrinsic motivation to care for something other than herself, which gives her self-esteem and, and purpose and purpose. And that's like something that's hard to teach kids, but I feel like animals are a great way to get there. And we talk a lot, you know, Barbara, again, she's just she runs around the kitchen and she's only got one eye and it's foggy. So she doesn't always know where she is. So I asked the girls like, is Barbara okay? Does she know where she is? Is she in the, she's standing in the corner again and they help her back to her bed. And it's just, it's so heartwarming for me to see my girls step outside their own needs as, you know, young, 
pretty much young, just out of toddler phase kids who still fight over toys and they're still in the mind, mind, mind phase, but they can step out of themselves and really wonder about the dog's needs. And that's teaching empathy and compassion and all these other great things. It's amazing at that age. I mean, you know what kids are. I don't know human kids, but at that age, but I can just see from my friend's children, you know, it's all about them. Mom, give me this. Dad, give me this. I'm hungry. Where's my toy? Blah, blah, blah. And your kids are getting up in the morning and caring for another creature for something else other than themselves at such a young age. That's unbelievable. It what makes you me taught so, them to do. It makes me so proud. And I will say like, there's all, so many great rescues here in Los Angeles. So many smaller rescues that we donate to all the time because, you know, Helen Woodward is amazing, but I also really feel like it's important. There are people like you and I who've made it their mission to get a kennel license and they, whether it's in a small space or out of their home, turn over 10 or 12 dogs every month or so. And they do it on a small scale. But I think it's those people who keep rescues, animal rescue running. And there's a wonderful place called the Dog Cafe on the east side of Los Angeles where you can get a coffee. It's a $10 ticket and you can go sit in a big room with all the adoptable dogs. And I bring my girls there all the time. We'll go on a, you know, after school, before Corona, on a Tuesday afternoon after school, they'll say, can we go to the dog cafe? And, you know, there's four volunteers in the room. So they're always monitoring when you walk in, they'll say, this is Marlo. Marlo's a bit grumpy today. Marlo's a senior, so she doesn't want to be pet. So it's very, you know, strategic there. Nobody's at risk of anything. My kids are running around. They'll tell me which ones my kids can play with, which ones are really, really kid friendly. And we just go and play and meet new dogs. And I mean, that's how we we got both Barbara and Frank from the dog cafe. But even that, them seeing, oh, there's 20 dogs in this room that need a home. Then it occurs to them, you know, that things are in need around the world and that they can be of service. Well, so many people that I've interviewed, we've just gotten the most incredible people to be on this podcast and they just open up. I mean, my very first interview was with Meredith Vieira and her 16-year-old dog, Jasper, a little tiny dog was just literally attacked by a coyote and survived. And we were talking about with her, with Isaac Mizrahi, with Joel Gray, all these people, Al Roker, who I got him his rescue dog, how our animals have really helped us through this pandemic really given us comfort during the most frightening time in our lives. Right, Kristen? Big time. It's allowed us. Well, I think this is the first time because Mother Earth seems to be so angry right now. (laughs) It's the first time that we as human beings are sort of forced to look inward more because, you know, the world had gotten so busy and we were all doing so much and myself included. And this pandemic has slowed everything down And it's allowed people a lot more time with family and it's allowed them to nest a little bit more, which I think is is an important sort of evolutionary value in our brains. And we hadn't nurtured it in a while. I mean, at least I hadn't. And I feel I've heard the same from others. And so spending a lot more time with our dogs and, you know, all those funny memes about now I know why my dog wants to go on a walk, comparing how we've been cooped in the house. Right, right. But being able to snuggle our dogs at night, it gives me such a sense of peace that I don't get elsewhere. And especially in a time where reading the news is scary, those small things that make your body feel better 
they're just important and vital. And nothing has made me happier than to see the videos of, you know, what was it in, I guess, North Carolina, where the, the shelter workers were celebrating because it was the first right. time ever that they had had an empty shelter. And I just, I personally, I think everyone in the world should have to do some sort of physical activity for half an hour and have an animal. Because I think those things are really good for your body and your brain and your soul. I think it makes happier people. So the fact that, you know, everybody's getting animals now because they're home, it makes me feel like people are receiving a lot more comfort that they maybe weren't open to before in a busy lifestyle. Well, that's so true. But, you know, I've been reporting on the other side of it. You know, Bill Berloni, who joins me in the show every week, he works and volunteers his time as a trainer at the Humane Society in New York. And there's been just a ton of COVID returns, which is so sad because I think a lot of people were lonely and afraid and they thought, wouldn't it be great to have an animal? And then some sort of reality set in for them. And all of a sudden, whether it be the vet bills or the dog was a little bit too needy and ate the sofa, who knows? But we're seeing a lot of returns now. And I'm speaking out for that uh, to many people to say, please give these animals time. I know it's something new for you, but it's just like anything else. They need time to adjust just like you do. Don't give up on them. You've opened up your heart and home. Give it a chance. Give it some time. But it's really scary what's going on now with the return situation. Yeah, well, that's, I always tell all my friends who are in the mood for a dog, I say, wait till January, wait till January, because so many people get dogs for Christmas Christmas. and then there's returns in January. And so we've tried to do that. But, you know, this is one of the realities that I think talking about it helps people understand because I also, you know, if someone has gotten in over their head with a dog, I don't fault them for saying, I feel like I need help. Yes. But it's the same, you know, it's the same thing I talk about was the stigma of depression and anxiety. There is help out there. You just need to know a little bit more. You know, we work with this amazing trainer in Los Angeles named Samantha Johnson. She's Mm -hmm. uh, got an Instagram called Pack Life LA. And she's so, so smart. And, you know, she was the one that told us it's going to be about two weeks before the dog shows their real personality. Right. And you have to know that. So you might get a dog and it might be crazy in the beginning. Wait two weeks, it might calm down. Frank was the opposite. He was so calm when we got him. I was like, this is the the personality personality emerged. Two weeks later, this dog was parkouring off of our furniture. (laughs) And he is, he's a maniac, but it's wonderful because the kids absolutely love it. And, you know, we've just learned that we got to go play fetch with him in the morning and it keeps us active, but you have to give them a chance there. You're not getting a handbag. You're getting another living being and you got to cut them some slack, but earning the relationship with them is where the beauty comes. Oh, the joys and the rewards of that love and that relationship. There's nothing like it. I can only compare it. It's such a euphoric high. When I take my dog's noses and I kiss them, I mean, I'm grinding my teeth. I have no teeth from grinding, kissing them all the time, but the joy of just getting that love and the kiss and the thump, thump, thump of the tail when you walk in and you know, and again, I have super seniors in this house. And I, as I said, I have a dog that's battling cancer now. I lost my beloved dachshund in March and I still have five here. And I cannot tell you every day is a gift with every one of them. And what I'm so impressed with you, Kristen, I mean, you and your husband, Dak Shepard, you know, you're both famous. You have these wonderful lives, incredible careers, and yet you are so grounded and so balanced and you've taught your daughters the meaning 
of life, what's important, how to give back. And that doesn't always happen. And that's not always the case in your career world, in your world. And, you know, you see quite the opposite often. How have you maintained being so grounded, you and your husband? And what is it about your life that makes you realize what's important and that's what you need to stress? Well, I think, I mean, we're both from Michigan. So am I. I was going to bring that up next. I'm a Detroit girl. Yes. yes, I grew up in Detroit, Seven Mile and James Cousins, and we moved to Birmingham, Bloomfield Hills. I know you're Huntington Woods. Oh my goodness. Can yes. you believe how much we have in common? This is ridiculous. <laughs> I'm, this makes me so happy. Well, there's something about, you know, you never know how your life is going to turn out. And if I had married someone from Los Angeles, maybe I would be different. But I think my husband has kept me grounded and I've kept him because we never lost our Michigan roots of like growing up, sometimes worrying about bills and the family. Like he still loves everything off-roading and, you know, motorhoming and we go camping a ton. And there's just so much of that life that was special to us that that when we transplanted to LA, I guess we just kept a lot of that. And I don't know what's kept us grounded, I guess. It's just, I like, I feel like keeping my feet on the ground is my utmost priority. And I think my family also keeps me really grounded. The funny thing is, is like my dad and my sisters could care less that I'm an actor. I get zero extra attention. In fact, I'm quite positive that most of them have not seen any work that I've been in. Oh, come on. I Are you serious? Not even forgetting Sarah Marshall? <laughs> I think that my dad has seen forgetting Sarah Marshall. I can't guarantee that my sisters have. They just don't care. And that's wow. the beautiful part about it is that you have to earn. I was taught you have to earn who you are, right? You don't get a title and then get treated differently. And I think, yeah, I think we're also just really, we're into science to be honest, I like the way the brain functions. My husband studied anthropology and the idea of culture and community and relating to one another and the science of your brain is really important to us. And so we recognize that keeping our feet on the ground is a really important part of that. Giving back gives people purpose, which makes them less anxious, which like it's all these, this sort of connective tissue of, of reading and about happiness. I think that's what it is. You know, like with animals in particular, one of the programs I love so much because it kind of explains why animals are so important. There's a thing called Positive Change Program, which is run by Marley's Mutts out here. And they go into prison systems with really, really hardened criminals. I mean, like triple murderers. And they, and this guy, Zach Stowe, brings in dogs they have a training program where these men who have not ever been able to articulate any emotion in their life, and probably, by the way, every single one had a terrible upbringing, so no wonder they made bad choices. They work in this dog program. They get a dog for you know 14 weeks to train it, and all of a sudden, in the small groups, they start talking about regrets they have or the love that they're feeling for the animal, and that's because you can ask a human to talk about things. But until they feel emotions, you can't really access their brains. And so you have these testimonials of these guys going, I realize now that I've spent 14 weeks with this dog, I never felt real love in my life. And that's why I made so many terrible choices. But I feel love now because it wasn't verbal. It was allowed to be just emotional. That's what the dogs are giving them. And you're seeing perfectly trained animals come out of of, uh, this program, being able to be adopted into families. Because obviously the prison system can't keep the dogs 
drugs, but you're also seeing these prisoners open up and become rehabilitated. Yeah, redemption. Unbelievable. Incredible. And I've worked in the, they have a, a girls juvenile program, which is girls, I think, 12 to 18 who are in the Bakersfield facility out here. And I've gone down in there and the girls, you know, who are in this detention facility for, you know, stealing for a lot of different crimes as a young kid, they have to write a report about why they want to be involved in the dog program. And then they have the responsibility to care for the dogs. And again, their emotional aptitude and willingness goes through the roof after having a relationship with an animal. It's incredible. That is amazing. That is truly unbelievable. What a great story. And I just don't know how you find the time to do all of this on top of being a wife and a mother. I mean, the career, all of that you're doing for the animals. It's unbelievable. When is your downtime or is there any? <laughs> I don't know. There's not a ton of downtime. I will say this. I sleep really well. And part of the reason I sleep well is because I feel like I have purpose and I feel like I try to do my best each day. So when I put my head on the pillow, I'm not an insomniac. And I sleep long. I sleep about nine hours a night. That's probably my self-care. So that's the one thing we're very opposite about. I'm an insomniac. I'm up all night. But it's also because I think some of my animals have certain needs, medical or whatever. And I just seem to be up at one, at four, at seven. But for them, it never seems to be an imposition. It's just what can I do to help them in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, must make you feel good. I mean, I'm an active person. I like to be, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'll take a day or two where I'm really, really lazy, where I'm just like, I'm putting in my audiobook. Nobody bug me. <laughs> I'm doing my cross stitch or I'm knitting a sweater this weekend. Leave me alone. But for the most part, it's that I just, I enjoy digging into things. And again, I like thinking about what makes human beings, what can make human beings happy. And one of the things that I've discovered is a relationship with animals and self-esteem and purpose are three things that really, beyond exercise, really can make human beings happy. So I strive to, you know, influence my community with that of saying like, well, if you ever want a dog, you can tell me what your requirements are and I'd be happy to help you. And I'm doing that because it's a, only a tiny bit of work on my part, but it can make a big deal, a big influence in someone else's life, you know? You're amazing. Look, I always loved you. Everything I've ever read about you, everything I've ever seen on screen, I've always loved you. But now, I mean, really, you are truly incredible. Besides that we're both Michiganders, grew up in the Midwest, which I definitely think people from the Midwest, it's a certain type of spirit, a certain way we were raised. We both broke our wrists at a very young age. I believe oh. yours from street hockey. Mine, I fell off a horse. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, we have, I, I can only picture you racing down Woodward Avenue. I mean, we grew up in the same area, which is so unbelievable. And what you've done for animals in need, I would hopefully one day, I'd love to do a show with you. I always actually thought you would be great in a rescue show called Saved by a Bell. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I love that, where we talk about different rescues. Yes, yes. <laughs> People. Yeah, I've been thinking about this for a long time. Just ask Marcel. Oh but my gosh. Truly amazing. Every time I see your husband on TV, he cracks me up and he has a hugely successful podcast. He's doing just amazingly well with that, isn't he, Kristen? Is he, you know, he's always been a real talker. Yes. Like me. <laughs> yes. Yes. And he realized he, a couple, you know, it was so funny is like two years ago, he said, I think I'm going to start a podcast. And what I did was basically pat him on the head. And I said, honey, that is so cute. You're going to do a garage podcast like everybody. 
you. And that's so sweet. I love it. And then three months later, I was like, wait, what? You have, you have millions of listeners? What? What? It's huge. Believe me, it's my dream to achieve like one crumb of what he has. And he started it before a podcast. I mean, what I love about what I'm doing now, Pet Life Radio has been around for 13 years. They were the first group only devoted to pets, but all about the podcast, satellite, whatever. And I was like, what is that? What is a podcast? What satellite? And meanwhile, your husband was on the bandwagon long before anybody else was. It's so interesting. And I will say it's done wonders for our marriage because the reality here still is that he is a talker and he gets out all day. Normally I'd get the earfuls at night and I'm just, sometimes I'm like, honey, I did so much today. Can we not, you know, did you read this article? Did you hear about, did you? And now he gets it out all during the day and we just have sometimes such a peaceful evening and I'm so grateful for it. No, let me tell you, he is so fantastic. I've listened to it. You have to tell him I love him. And he gets the most incredible guests and he gets them to open up and say things. I mean, that's always been, you know, I've been in this business a long time and it's our hope and dream. You know, I've never been intrusive and I've never wanted to get the get at somebody's expense. That's not who I am. I always just want to have a wonderful conversation and learn about people in a very positive way. And I feel your husband's podcast is just so great that way too, because you learn so much, but it's not tabloidy. It's very down to earth and very heartfelt. Well, one of the great things that he, when he started Armchair Expert, one of the things he said is he's like, there's so many podcasts about the successes. You know, how did you get to be who you are? He's like, I want to do one about the mistakes. I want to say, so you're, you're where you're at. What mistakes do you think contributed to getting you here? So that there's just, you know, and the, our whole purpose, I think him and I, is just reducing shame and stigma and taboo about everything, about he's really honest about the fact that he was molested, which not a lot of guys can talk about or girls. You know, I'm really honest about my anxiety and depression. We're honest about our marriage and the ups and downs. And I just feel like the less taboo everything is, the more we all talk about our hardships, the more connected we feel as a community. Yeah, that is so true, Chris. I mean, you really are incredible, you and your husband. And I think the honesty, first of all, it makes people just relate to you so well because so many of us are going through one or more of those things in certain ways. And so to hear someone of your stature, to hear someone that people look up to talk about something that is often put in the closet, don't tell anybody, we don't want anyone to know we have a fault. Oh my, what would happen? Yet yeah. you've been out there about it, you and your husband, in such a passionate and such a real way that you've helped so many people. Well, I got to say, honestly, it's also that comes back to both of our like intense interests in brain science, the way your brain works. So again, this comes from, and it's a joke on his podcast because he mentions it every other sentence. I have a degree in anthropology. I have a degree in anthropology. But like human beings, because he studied primatology, right? So like chimps and you have to look to someone to learn. Chimps look to the alpha to learn. They look to each other. Nobody lives on an island by themselves and evolves. So we kind of made a decision basically a couple years ago to go, let's just be who we are publicly. There are certain things we keep private. Like we don't show pictures of our kids. We keep their existence very private because, you know, we don't know whether or not they want And I didn't even mention their names. I respect that. I appreciate it. But the reality is if people are looking to us, why not show them some, a reality? Let's not show them an Instagram filter. Let's 
show them who we are and in the hopes that it can make everything better, that it'll make us feel better because honesty always feels better. I had a terrible day yesterday. I fought with my husband yesterday, but then also that people will see, oh, that's normal. Just like we've gotten a little obsessed as humans with um, you know, this, this idea of perfection. And we made a really specific decision to try and not show perfection, to try to show levity and laugh at all of our imperfections and show the mistakes in hopes that it would provide you know, the community with more happiness. Oh my goodness, you have done just that. And like I said, I have just looked up to you for so long because you are so real. And I've always thought, oh, I just want to hang with her. I just want to be friends with her. And when I told people I was doing this interview, they're like, I love Kristen Bell. But not just from the big screen standpoint. They love you because they love your personality. And they always feel like I do, like she could be my girlfriend. I want to pick her up and go shopping and have coffee with her if we weren't wearing a mask and six feet away. But you know, <laughs> that is what you project. And your husband is just hilarious and so open and real. You're just the kind of couple that everybody wants to hang with. Although I think after a while that could get annoying for you because everybody wants to be in your world, right? <laughs> well, you know, we, it, it's, first of all, it's very, very flattering. It means we're doing a good job of being, you know, yourselves, <laughs> ourselves, but also examples of human beings that are like, hey, we all have bad days. My husband's an addict. I mean, he's, he's been sober for a while. That's hard. I suffer from anxiety and depression, but we're still getting up in the morning and making the decision to try to be happy. But we also have a really wonderful, intense friend group of about 15 people that are our support system. And that yeah. Friendship, you know, he actually just did a podcast about friendship and communication and how like having close friends can add years to your life. It's so yeah. true. And Especially I, when you're saying like I'm single now and you know, my girlfriends, you know, I, I adore them. I, you know, not as much as my animals, but you know, you need them. It's like that connection that I went went to a friend's house the other night for a dinner just with her family and her kids are like my kids and you know, I've seen her a couple times. I've only been out four times the whole summer, but you're so far away. And I, I just miss being able to hug somebody and say, oh, I miss you. And, but you know, it, that is, it's so important. And what you're providing and what Dax is doing with this podcast is really helping people during a really scary time and making us feel like it's okay that we might not be okay. Right? Exactly. Well, that's the, that's the reality of being human, right? None of us are okay. Or it's just, it's a roller coaster and, and that's okay to just be on the roller coaster. Well, we're all together. I have to tell you, Kristen, this was even better than I expected. I expected it to be pretty great. Okay. Because <laughs> I, I just adore you. And besides Michigan, the broken wrists and everything we have in common, I just love what you're doing for animals. And I know once this pandemic hopefully subsides a little bit, your career, I would imagine you've got a million things going. Is there anything you'd like to promote or talk about that you're working on or can talk about? Wow. Well, I'm actually not working on anything right now other than figuring out this whole uh, virtual learning with my kids. That wow. is the, the biggest job ever, right? Job ever. I mean, you know, we're still working on Hello Bello. My husband and I started a, a baby care company that is sort of you know, premium baby care company and diapers and wipes and lotions and potions, but made at an accessible price. And we are in Walmarts everywhere. And we also just signed to be in Meyer, which wow. as you know, Meyer, what a big deal for Michiganders. I mean, Meyer yes. was my go-to chain when I needed bumpy cake ice cream at 10 o'clock at night when I was six. <laughs> 
So we're going to be there. And what else? I still, I mean, I'm not shooting anything right now, but I also have a, a bar line called This Saves Lives, which for each bar bought, we have a, a bunch of delicious flavors and there's kids bars as well that are gluten and nut free. You can put in their lunches. But for each bar you buy, we donate a life-saving packet of nutritional food to a kid in need. So That's fantastic. And where can people buy these? You can buy them at um, everywhere. You can buy them at Target. You can buy them at uh, Sprouts. You can buy them at Ralph's. You can buy them at Albertsons. Any of your local grocery stores should have them. And again, we were, my friends and I, my friend Ryan Devlin, who's also an actor, we were sort of perplexed that there wasn't a one-for-one give back in the food space. And we give away this packet called Plumpy Nut, which helps kids around the world, everywhere, who are suffering from severe acute malnutrition, get back to normal on their local food source. And we were like, let's just make a great bar that everyone's going to want to keep in their purse, but we also help kids do it. So working on those things, you know, also keeps me pretty busy, but I, I love it. Unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, really, that is so great that you're doing that, you know, giving back to children in need and in a nutritious way, which we all need right now. And boy, Kristen, this has been such a joy and a pleasure. Please think about that show I want to do with you. Okay, Saved by a bell. But it is just so great talking with you. And I wish you all the success and bless you for what you're doing for senior animals in need and teaching your children about the importance of taking care of these animals. And please give my love to your husband and tell him I adore his podcast. It really is incredible. You're doing a great job. Thank you. I will. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, this has been just a pleasure and we're going to stay in touch with each other. Okay. Let's do it. All right. To stay safe and thank you again. You too. Okay, coming up on Rappaport to the Rescue, we will have Bill Berloni here for our Jill Bill section of the show. Stay tuned. Looking for a dental treat that does more for your dog? Daily Dose is a two-in-one chew that pairs a daily dental scrub with powerful supplements to help with the biggest health concerns facing our dogs. Daily Dose was developed by vets to be simple to use and super effective. Plus, dogs love the taste. Available for joint, skin, heart health, or calming. Daily Dose, your pet's daily dose of awesome. Visit yourpetsdailydose.com to save $3 on your first bag with promo code PETLIFE. That's yourpetsdailydose.com. We wear fur and we're damn proud of it. What? And our four legs. And our tail. And we go to the bathroom outside. Well, we may not be too proud of that. (laughs) Sniff around. Then mark your spot right here. Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Rappaport to the Rescue. I'm Jill Rappaport, and it's that time of the show, the Jill Bill section. I'm joined with Bill Berloni, and this time, a special guest along with him, his daughter, Jenna. And we talked about this earlier in the show. I had two dachshunds. My beautiful Ruby passed away in March. She's still in my heart, in my home. And I have Oscar Meyer, very much active, wild man, as we call him. And Jenna, Bill's daughter, has a dachshund. And what I love about the personalities is their persistence, a little bit obstinate. They're not afraid of anything, but that also can be a little bit of a training nightmare. Jenna, great to see you. And from what I hear, your dad tells me you've done a great job with the housebreaking, the barking, 
how did you do it besides having a dad who's an expert? Yeah, thanks for having me, Jill. I'm so happy to be here. I'm a big fan of the podcast. Um, it's been really great to hear and talk to my dad about the guests that we've had. And I do have a dachshund, and she did prove, like you said, to be a little bit of a challenge with kind of all the stereotypical dachshund things. So it's been hard work, but I've had a really great helper with some great advice in real time. So that's, I think, been the one of the biggest helps here. Well, what are you going to say? Your dad is part of it, so what the heck, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know, it's amazing because earlier in the show, I introduced this and I talked about this experience I had in my backyard yesterday where a deer actually got in protecting her little baby. And it was my dachshund that was going to save the day and try to take on both of them. And dachshunds are so tough and strong. They're not afraid of anything. I lost my beloved Ruby in March. She was my, I call her my sugar doggy. She sold all my products on QVC. I rescued her literally when she had a year. She was there for three years and she had one day to live when I rescued her. I now have Oscar Meyer, who I rescued at seven years old, four years ago. Your dad and mom met Oscar and said, boy, you've got your work cut out for you because they're tough. And I know you have a dachshund also. And there's a lot of training issues involved the barking, but most important, what is it that they can never get potty trained, Bill? Well, it's part of that strong will. It's like, why walk outside when you can go just right inside and somebody's going to clean it up? And Jenna, were you having that issue with your baby? Well, when she came to us, she was housebroken for the most part. And then we realized she was getting kind of distracted with the other dogs at our house. And wasn't always making it outside at the beginning. Like my dad mentioned, she's a little bit spoiled maybe and just thought, well, they're not paying attention to me all the time. So, <laughs> And you know, it's something about this breed, Bill, because mm -hmm. I grew up with dachshunds. I had one, you know, when I was six years old named Schnapsy. And I can remember, that was a long time ago, but I remember Schnapsy, same deal go outside, do her business, come in, do her business again. What is it? That's why I wanted to devote this segment to dachshunds, which I absolutely adore, but you know, they're obstinate. They're hard to train. They are. And, you know, Jenna came home from New York City in the midst of the uh, pandemic and she's moving back into New York, you know, next month. And so she now has to get this dog completely house trained and on a schedule. So that's what we've been training. And um, I shouldn't say that. That's what Jenna's been training. You know, she knows what her work schedule is going to be. So we wanted to make sure we got Oakley, is her name, on that schedule. And it's been a little rough. Yeah, yeah. Jenna, how did you do it? I mean, it's great that your dad is the premier trainer. Hey, let's face it. You got one leg up on us here. But you, as Bill always tells everybody, it doesn't matter how great he is and how many times he comes to your house or whatever, the owner the pet parent has to take control and do it or it doesn't matter, right? Yeah. So I definitely am lucky that I got this great advice firsthand and <laughs> in real time, like while it was happening. So the thing that I realized with Oakley, of course, the, like you said, the stubborn but loyal personality was I couldn't necessarily limit her time outside at first right. because what she wanted was to come back inside. So in my head, what letting her go back inside was like a release of tension and she got what she want, wanted, so to speak. So I would stay outside with her for like longer periods of time. And then when she went to the bathroom, then she got cookies and she got to go inside. And so she realized 
kind of the faster I go outside, I get a cookie and then I get to come back inside. So it did, it definitely was time consuming. And that's why I started this early was because I knew I have the time right now. And once we get back into a more strict work schedule, and when I get back to New York, I might not have that time to spend 10, 15 minutes outside waiting for Especially her. Especially in the winter. And I believe you got her in March. So it's cold and you've yeah. got to sit there and wait and, and kind of shiver while she does her business, hopefully. Yeah. So there's a lot of things that I would definitely encourage people to, if you have a goal, you just start that earlier for dachshunds because they are <laughs> stubborn and like kind of with all of our training, anything besides the housebreaking, it's slow and it's time consuming and sometimes frustrating, but I knew I needed to do it now before I was in my new apartment in this new situation with, you know, this dog, I needed everything to be like all set and tight. <laughs> and how is she now? Would you say she's a hundred percent housebroken or getting there? I'd say she's a hundred percent housebroken and the schedule. Unbelievable. <laughs> Tell me what to do immediately. <laughs> the schedule that I made really seems to work for her. Luckily, Eventually, I might try and take out one of the walks. I think she'll be able to do it. But for now, I'm erring on the side of caution and taking her out almost more than she needs to just to be sure. And again, while I have the time, I might as well. And I think those extra walks will be useful when I'm in New York. And then maybe once she's settled, I'll change it a little. Yeah, Bill, let me tell you, that's one of the few success stories. And I think that's the reason I've noticed before COVID when I would go visit shelters, I'm seeing more and more and also being sent uh, through emails, more and more dachshunds are sitting in shelters. And I often wonder, is it because people just couldn't get them housebroken and they gave up? What do you think? That and, but it's what I was going to interject was, Jenna said, you know, she figured out quickly that the quicker she went outside, the quicker she got the treat and came inside. She had done a whole training program before that, teaching her how to heal, how to sit, how to stay, lie down. I mean, so the dog already had the idea of, if I do something easy, I'm going to get a treat easier. And that's what fed into the housebreaking. You can't just zero in on one part, which is just the housebreaking, because they are so smart and they are so tenacious. You have to teach them that it's really in the best interest to listen to me because you'll get something good at the end of it. And then they get it. I think that's the difference. Well, you know, I like to focus in not only on problems, general problems, but also different breeds that might experience and owners might experience the same thing that, you know, another owner or pet parent is having with that particular breed. And Mark Winter from Pet Life Radio, the man that formulated this wonderful network here, we were talking earlier off mic and, and during break about our Havanese's. And that's going to be another segment because he says he just can't stop his Havanese from barking. I have an 18-year-old Havanese who's gone deaf. And so she always was a barker, but now that she can't hear. And so we want to devote another segment to that. It really is interesting how certain breeds, there are certain characteristics that go along with those breeds, right, Bill? And some require serious training methods. Exactly. Because you're overcoming genetics. That's the thing. Any hunting breed, like a dachshund. I mean, dachshunds were bred to go after badgers. I mean, the meanest animals out there. You got to be tough, tenacious, smart. And, you know, barking was one of the things we had to work on too with her because you don't want to get evicted from your apartment because of excessive barking. So we taught her what no bark means. You know, she'll still bark when somebody comes down the driveway, but now she'll listen for the cookie to stop. 
And that's all wow. you could really expect of an animal. Hey, it works for me. When I hear the bag of cookies, I stop whatever I'm doing and I'm attentive and up on my hind legs waiting for a cookie. I get it. So you really think you really believe in that treat motivation. It's so important, isn't it? Or whatever the dog likes. I mean, some dogs like their toys. You could use their toy as a motivator. It's just, you know, just like people, whatever motivates a, motivate. Whatever motivates us the most is what we should be going towards as a reward. Um, and for, and with, for those listening, you know, that love dachshunds like I do, the last thing we want to do is discourage people. But I also want to bring to the forefront issues that us dachshund owners can experience. So it, quite the contrary. So people will still consider opening up their heart and home to them because they are the best dogs. I just adore them. But, you know, occasionally or more often, you might have one that experiences what Jenna and I have gone through, you know, with this housebreaking issue. So, uh, Bill, is there any message? Because you see it every day in the shelters. We don't want people to shy away from this breed. Let's talk about how great they are and that we can fix these problems. You really believe that? Absolutely. Because with the same tenacity that they may be doing things wrong, when they learn the right way, it's the same tenacity. So they are not 100%, they are 120% when you get them on the right path. I mean, at night I'll see her and, you know, her dog is just wrapped around her chin. She couldn't be more loving, she, uh -oh. you know, more interactive, you know, and um, she's a great companion. And so again, because she loves Jenna, because it's fun to be with Jenna. So no, I don't want to discourage anybody about dachshunds. I mean, they also have a sense of humor, which is what <laughs> I like about them. You know, they're little legs and they give you the look and, you know, they do things differently than a dog, which makes you laugh. Yeah. And okay. I think... Crack up. I made sure for Oakley specifically, my dog, to think about like why she might have been doing these things. So... With the housebreaking, that was pretty clear that she is just a little stubborn. But the barking, I realized, because she, she does fall into that stereotype of dachshund, she is a barker. And I would try and hone in on like when and why is she barking. She's more of a reactive barker in a protective kind of way. Right, right. Which to me, like for some people and for me, could be an important feature or something that is nice to have. Like if someone were to break into my house, she would bark. So... Yeah, and my Oscar would do more than that. He's very <laughs> aggressive. I have to literally put him in a crate when strangers come in because he is unpredictable. Yeah, but I don't yell at her when she barks because I know she's doing it to protect me. Right. I just let her know when it's time to stop and when it's maybe not appropriate to bark and that's when I'll give her, but I don't want to like silence her voice because she's telling me someone is here or someone is walking past, you know, like there's good things about it. And then there's ways to just cap it off and say, all right, that's enough of that. And this is more an appropriate time and things like that. So it sounds like you're a pretty darn good trainer yourself, Jenna. I don't know. You're going to walk in dad's footsteps. I know you have other career aspirations, but it sounds like you really know what you're doing as well. I have to say it's harder than he makes it seem. And I don't think I'm, I don't know if I could do it. It's really hard and again i'm just lucky to have it here in real time as a resource but and your dad's um, unbelievable because he really does it's almost it's a little depressing because your dad makes it look easy even though we know it's not and yeah. he's so calm about it bill you really are like i mean i didn't even realize because bill and i talk so much during the week we we're always you know talking about 
our wish list as far as guests and topics or things I'm experiencing, or he'll just call to say, how's your dog PD doing? Mm -hmm. Because he advised, you know, what kind of music to use, but it's my doggy with cancer. And, you know, we talk all the time and I always say to myself, he's so calm about it. Like that's why he's so good at what he does. And Bill, you really, do you ever get frustrated? I mean, do you ever come up against a case where you think, wow, this is just not going to work. I'm really just, I'm out of work here. I don't even know what to do myself. All the time because there is no real rule book for training or behavior modification. And um, that's when I just sort of get full philosophical and, you know, let the dogs teach me. Currently, we just took in a standard poodle who was from a hoarding situation. He's oh, two I years love old. standards. <laughs> two years old, and he is frightened of the world. He is a bit, you know, people in the foster home. He's been with us for eight days, and it's just so sad to see a dog who will run and jump in fear from anything. You know, so it's, this is going to be months of rehabilitation, but I'm watching. And when he makes a step, I step towards that as opposed to trying to impose like us. So it's, it's, it's being a listener and you're a good listener to your dogs. You listen to them, their needs, their illnesses, their, their likes. And that's what, that's what being a dog trainer is about to me. Oh. And Jenna has it and she's doing it with children because she's gone into education. Isn't that wonderful, Jenna? Well, I know your parents are so proud of you. And uh, obviously, you're great with animals, with kids, and you've really, you know, you're doing it the right way. And I really wanted, I requested at the very last minute, I wanted our listeners to all know, I literally said to Bill just a couple hours ago, can't we put Jenna on? I want to hear right from the horse's mouth about her dachshund and what she's experiencing. Because anybody can say, you know, oh yeah, my daughter's doing really well with this. But I wanted to hear you tell the story, Jenna. And having a dad like Bill, great, great advice. But you're the one that had to teach Oakley what to do and how to act and how to become the best dog she can be, right? Yeah. And I think it's important that I do fall into one of those people who got a dog during the COVID situation. And it was the right time for me. Of course, it was so hard, but there's things that if people are listening who did get a dog and who have plans for the future, I think my biggest advice, no matter what breed of dog, is just plan for your life after this. Because I had to make her walk schedule around what my like in-person work schedule will be. Because again, once we're in it, like I won't have the time to spend and really get her on a new schedule once that all happens again. And I know I'm moving into a new apartment. So it's like plan for your what's going to happen after this and think, how do I want my life with this dog to be after all this is over? And of course, while it's happening, she's great. And it's been so great to have her during this time, but it was a lot of work and trial and error and really giving her the room to make mistakes because I was making mistakes. And now we're finally on like the right path. And I think it's going to all work out in the end, but obviously she's doing great. Well, Jenna, this has been a joy I hope you join us from time to time. We'd like to keep in touch with you. And maybe once she goes into the apartment with you, with your job. Oh, she, is she pick? Oh, there she is. Oh, I, our <laughs> listeners should know that while I was talking, Jenna leaned down and picked up the cutest little muffin. Oh my goodness. Oh boy. This dog is just adorable. Well, we want to check in with you and hear how she's doing in her new setting. Once you of go course. back to work, your new apartment. Right, Bill? That's going to be a whole new experience for Oakley. And, you know, for anybody who's thinking of getting a dachshund, you know, I'm half German. She's a quarter <laughs> German. Anybody who wants a dachshund should be ready to polka because that's the dance <laughs> you're going to do with a 
to the dachshund. It's going to be fun. It's going to be fast. But you have to be the leader and not the follower of the polka. <laughs> oh, on that happy dance note, thank you so much, Bill. As always, great advice. And Jenna, great to have you here. This was such a fun show. Thank you, listeners, for tuning in. And as I always say, stay positive. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.